we have a very special guest uh, calling in. News, WABC. We have a very special guest calling in. It's the new Speaker of the House, uh, Mike Johnson. And um, we uh, have a few questions for him. And uh, um, Mr. Speaker, welcome to uh, Katz and Cosby. Welcome to WABC. Well, thank you. It's my great honor. I hate to break up the birthday party. <laughs> I thought you were the birthday present, Mr. Speaker. I, that's very nice. You're well, too uh, kind. You're too kind. We'll transmit some cake uh, through the... Can, can we get yeah, yeah, exactly. These day and age, you can do anything with yeah, technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We've done everything that Star Trek does except uh, transmitting cake. Absolutely. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, it's great to have you here. You know, uh, let's start sort of with your vision. And also, we saw so much division that was happening, of course, before all of this, before you became the Speaker. Um, I think everybody in the country was relieved uh, when you got voted in very quickly. What kind of relationship uh, do you have with the Democrats, too, with Hakeem Jeffries? Where are things going with that? Well, I tell you what, it's a, it's been a tumultuous time in Congress. I think everybody can see that. And we walked through a dark valley together as the House Republican Conference. But when you walk through a valley, you always emerge on the other side. And we are very optimistic right now about where we're headed. We, we've come out of that. Um, I put it this way, and I've said this to some of our close friends who have watched and observed up, up close. The, the desolation that was wrought through that period was so complete that it broke everyone down to kind of their own individual core. And, and the opportunity that presents is that everybody's emerged kind of with this new spirit that we understand we really have to work together. And, and I think that gives us a real opportunity. We were stuck together, you guys, for 10 straight weeks. And former Speaker John Boehner always had a rule. You don't keep Congress together for more than three weeks at a time because they'll, they'll start to uh, – you get frustrated and wring each other's necks, and we saw that. Everybody's broken up now. We've gone home for Thanksgiving. They'll get a reprieve. We'll come back and regroup, and we'll run this agenda. And I am very, very bullish on the days ahead and the, and the future for the country. What are some of the priorities for you, uh, Mr. Speaker? Because, of course, I know you've just taken over. By the way, you wasted no time. I love the fact that right after uh, you were selected, you were voted in, you came right out and said, listen, there's no time for a swearing-in ceremony. we got to get to work. And you did a resolution on Israel within hours. It was amazing. We did. We had to get right back to work. The House was effectively closed for business for about three straight weeks, and we, there's no luxury of complacency here. The hour is late. The crisis is great on so many fronts, and we had to address it. So we came out immediately with Israel. We came out right after that and passed, by the way, a bipartisan Israel support package that was the amount requested by Prime Minister Netanyahu, my friend, and and we added a pay-for, and that was kind of a seismic shift in Washington. Uh, normally, we uh, do supplemental spending without any pay-fors, but we recognize right now one of our, our primary objectives has got to be handling our nation's debt. So we can take care of our obligations, but we do it in a fiscally responsible manner. We have a $33.6 trillion debt, and so when you talk about our priorities and principles, the House Republicans are absolutely united on the fact that we've got to drive that down. We, The Treasury Department just announced about two and a half weeks ago that we're going to have to borrow $1.5 trillion over the next two quarters just to keep the government in operation. This is not sustainable, so we have to fix it. While we're doing that, we're going to fight for more American-made energy so we can get back to energy independence and dominance that we had several years ago, uh, secure our southern border. That's a big thing for the people. And and, and change the way Washington works, because ultimately we have to do that to fix this problem and restore trust in the institution that we all serve in and love. Uh, we've been yelling uh, loudly. I, I have, especially in on uh, Fox uh, Business, Fox News, and, and WABC here, uh, that uh, Chairman Powell keeps raising the interest rates and he's hurting the country. 
instead of increasing our output on oil and bringing inflation down that way. Well, that's exactly right. And if you saw the beginning of this Congress, the first bill that we passed as a as a House Republican majority was H.R. 1. And there's a reason it was our first priority, first bill. It was on energy security, because we understand if you unleash American energy production and exploration again, then that that ties directly to our national security. And, and a strong America is good for not only us, but for the entire world, for stability around the world. So you cannot overstate the importance of that. I, I have some real disagreements with how the Fed has handled interest rates and all of this, uh, you know, the, the spending policies and all the rest. And I think now even people who just a few months ago, certainly the last couple of years, were espousing this crazy modern monetary theory idea, this unicorn economics, you know, the facts are, 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 are being collected now. The data is collected. They can't refute it. That is madness. We have to have fiscal restraint. And it begins with being good stewards of the taxpayers' resources. And that's what you're going to see from our team from this point forward. Mr. Speaker, do you have a good working relationship with Hakeem Jeffries? Because I, I don't think the American people want extremism on, on either the, life, you know, the left or the right to affect the way America goes. No, it's a great point. Hakeem has become a very good friend of mine, and I, I trust him. I think he's a good man. He and I see things from de- very different policy perspectives, of course. Uh, our, our core principles may be a little different, but I, I know in his heart at the end of the day, he wants what's best for the country, and I do too. And so you saw that in, in, before I took the oath of office when I gave the speech from the, from the House floor, from the Speaker's rostrum there. I said that right at the outset, that, that I, I look forward to working with Hakeem. And over the last few weeks, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, you guys, since I took the gavel 24 days ago, I think it was. Uh, no rest for the weary. But, but along that path, many times along the path, Hakeem and I have had one-on-one meetings and frank discussions. And I, I, to your point, I think that's really important for our institution, for Congress, to work. We're never going to agree on some of these policy positions. But we have to do it in an agreeable manner, even when we disagree. And I think that's important to keep the, the, the ball moving forward for the American people. Well, Mr. Speaker, Ed Cox here, Chairman of the Republican Party. I see Hakeem Jeffries a little bit differently because we won 11 uh, seats uh, in uh, 2022. And, uh, and uh, there are competitive districts, nine competitive districts, of which we have eight. And uh, he is determined to win those back. So we are nose to nose with him here, and we're determined to hold well, on that- to him. Ed Cox, that's a separate problem we have in New York State where where you guys worked very hard and you got uh, uh, a bipartisan – what was it? Uh, we won the highest court here and a special master redrew the districts and uh, Lee Zeldin did very well uh, in the right places. Lee's gone now. It's a I mean, big – but, uh, but overall, uh, the governor is overruled by uh, two-thirds in the assembly and two-thirds in the, uh, in the Senate. And they put in their own judges in the Court of Appeals, and they're going to overrule you now, and you're going to be in trouble. So you're going to have to be able to deliver 11 seats. Well, we're going to go back in the court to fight after they finish re-gerrymandering. And we're going to go up to the highest court again, and uh, and we'll fight it out and make sure that we have fair districts. Governor Patterson? Well, hey, and, uh, let me say, yeah, I'm all the way on that. Um, I, I just wanted to add, um, Hakeem and I can get along. I'm a happy warrior. I believe in the old Reagan, Tip O'Neill model where you don't hate each other at the end of the day. But, boy, you know they would fight like the devil on policy, and that's what we're doing. And uh, we are going to retain those uh, those seats from those incredible members of Congress that the Republican Party sent to us from New York. That was one of the reasons that we all know that we won the majority. Those are our majority makers, those members. 
And I'm coming up there as early as uh, next week uh, to, to do events in those districts and help them uh, retain those seats and then grow our majority. So we've got to defeat these guys in the ballot. Don't don't mistake me for uh, the way we fight. We're, we're, we're going to win it. And we have By the to way, you have to come join us in studio. If you come here next week, you got to come join well, us. That'd be awesome. I, I don't know what my schedule looks like. They fill it up moment by moment, but that would be a great joy. Well, we're looking forward to having you here in New York. And thank you very much for coming here and working with our members of Congress. Okay. Uh, Governor David Patterson, any comments? Uh, I would just say that both parties have, uh, at different times in this state's history, made a mockery out of the reapportionment system. But this time it was the Democrats, Governor. So let's be clear about that. And I'm the House Democrat, and I'm saying that. It's a Democratic Party that subverted the state constitution. They were set aside, and they're trying to do it again. And the only way you can have checks and balances in our government is if you have the House representatives in the Senate in Republican hands for the protection of this great country. Yeah, Mr. Speaker, go ahead. Well, that, I would agree with that sentiment. Uh, look, I, I think that we have to adhere to the to the rule of law, ultimately, at the end of the day. We adhere to the Constitution and we respect those principles. And we're fighting for that in states all around the country. Uh, they're into reapportionment and the redistricting. You, you've got to you got to follow the law, not not have gerrymandering, not have political games but do it in a right and fair way. And I think some of these things will be resolved in the courts uh, in the, the months ahead, and that's going to be very important because it will help determine who holds that House majority. And I believe our principles are the ones that will, will provide more opportunity and liberty and security for more Americans. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about taking that message on the road. Now, Mr. Speaker, uh, Ed Cox, you, you passed a continuing resolution that uh, the debt ceiling comes up again in February in the middle of the primaries. Uh, what is your strategy with that? Well, the strategy is to get the job done before all of that, of course. You know, we what we had to do with that continued resolution, you all know because you observe this, it, it took decades to get into the budget mess that we're in. The, the lack of adherence to the law, the Budget Control Act of 1974 has very specific provisions on timing and how this process is supposed to work with regard to appropriations and government spending. And it just simply hasn't been followed for many, many years. And so what we wind up at the end of every year is some massive omnibus spending bill right before Christmas where Congress spends, you know, 1.7 or $1.8 trillion with 3,000 pages of legislation no one's read. We broke that fever for the first time in memory. We were able to get beyond the Christmas holiday, push the deadline into mid-January and then early February to allow more time for the appropriations process to complete. I think that's going to be a good thing for stewardship, and it's going to ultimately allow us to control spending. But here's the big news. We are going to change the way this is done going forward. I I have vowed to my colleagues we're not going to be in this situation ever again, which means early in February we're going to begin on the next fiscal year, and uh, you'll see the process work much different. Great. Mr. Mr. Speaker, uh, one of the big problems that we have is our borders. Yes. Uh, Has there been any discussion with you and Hakeem Jeffries? Uh, there has actually about um, some provisions that that need to be agreed upon. Listen, even the White House recognizes we've got to have policy change at the border. In my view, they opened it up. I mean, I think that's what the evidence shows. I served on the House Judiciary Committee uh, before I became uh, speaker, and and we had many hearings with Mayorkas and, and Merrick Garland and everyone in charge of this. And it's very clear that policies are what have created the catastrophe there. So we have to change it. So we're going to use every leverage point that we have going forward in these negotiations on supplemental federal spending and all these other provisions to ensure that we can get real substantive change at the border, because I believe that is a root 
cause of so many of the problems that we're facing in this country. And I think most of the people agree with us. So the polling's on our side, the resolve is on our side, and I'm, I'm very confident that we're going to be able to affect real change there in the coming weeks and months. Mr. Speaker, uh, the most important meeting that's happened in the last week or so is the meeting in San Francisco uh, between China and uh, President Biden. And uh, it seems like they put out two different press releases, one for China, one for President Biden. Uh, did you have a representative at the meeting or, or have you been briefed on it, uh, uh, getting the truth? Well, they didn't invite uh, the legislative branch. We we were all just deep in the weeds in the trenches trying to uh, prevent the government from shutting down, trying to get the spending, the continued resolution negotiated. So we watched it from afar. And to be to be honest, I was so deep in the weeds and all that as speaker that I, I, I wasn't able to follow every detail of it. What I did see was the highlights, which are very disappointing. In general, I will say that it is a true statement, and anyone who looks at this objectively has to agree, that President Biden is projecting weakness on the world stage. And I'm, I'm from the Reagan school. He always said we maintain peace through strength, and he was exactly right, because if you project weakness, you invite aggression. And it's a dangerous time right now to be inviting aggression upon our country. And that's why you see China, Iran, Russia, all of our adversaries around the world uh, just doing what they're doing, being very provocative. I, I thought it was shameful that we gave standing ovations out there by these CEOs and tech companies to a communist leader of a nation that persecutes its own people and is causing havoc around the world and is trying to be a peer-to-peer adversary with the United States. This is not a game, and we have to take it very seriously. And everybody, we are speaking uh, to the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, here on Cats and Cosby. Uh, Mr. Speaker, to that point, I'm also thinking about Iran, uh, because here we have, you know, President Biden has not been enforcing the sanctions on Iran on oil. Of course, the oil we know is helping to fund the war machine, Hamas, Hezbollah, all these others. Also, we saw this week uh, that he looks like he's continuing this waiver uh, where they might get access to another $10 billion. Is there anything that Congress can do uh, vis-a-vis Iran and what's happening over there? We are certainly trying. I, I just believe that is absolute madness, what, what the White House is doing. How in the world would you risk further empowering Iran, which is the largest state sanction of terror on the planet. It obviously, as to your point, Hamas and Hezbollah are proxies of Iran. They are the ones that are effectively funding and fueling the, the, uh, the atrocities against Israel and unsettling the entire world order because of it. So we have to take a strong stand. I mean, this, this is, again, not a game. The, the, the way that we handle these foreign policy matters, these sensitive issues, is critical to the stability of the globe. That's not an exaggeration. So what we're trying to do in in the legislative branch in Congress is is force the hand of the White House. The problem is those of us who believe so adamantly about this um, are only the small majority in one chamber, one one house. And we have to get Senator Schumer and the Democrats who run the Senate to agree with us to affect that change. But we're we're trying to uh, apply every point of pressure that we can to the White House and, and pleading with them to change course because we've got to have a strong stance here. Yeah, absolutely. What about cracking down also on colleges, too? Um, you know, some of these things, yes. some of the protests we have seen and social media, it's been really frightening, Mr. Speaker. Well, it, it has. And you're going to see as we continue to haggle over finalizing that that supplemental aid package to Israel, which is about fourteen point five billion dollars. Um, you may you will see some some policy initiatives, I think, attached to that in the next stage. We we want to crack down on some of that's happening. Look, we, we believe in free speech. We believe in the free marketplace of ideas as conservatives. That's a critical principle to us. But at the same time, you cannot have 
universities and radical, radicalized college presidents indoctrinating students and, and having them go out and engage in this activity that is turning violent on some of these campuses. I'd like to, I'd be curious, for example, to know these, these universities and, and, and these schools that are uh, collecting federal funding, I'd like to know about uh, their contribution records. Are they receiving money from Iran-backed proxies or some of these other organizations that would be of interest to members of Congress who are sending them funding. Uh, we, we gotta, we've got to look at this very carefully, and we've got to affect change in every way that we can. Mr. Speaker, I understand a lot of foreign governments are giving a lot of money uh, to uh, some of these universities that are indoctrinating our kids. They are. I think that that's beyond dispute. Um, we don't know the details, or probably enough of the details of that, at some of these universities, but I, I can tell you that there is a increasing amount of interest on the on the part of many members of Congress about those details. It, it matters, and and I'll tell you what, moms and dads who are out there across this country who are sacrificing to send their kids to these colleges and universities, they think they're getting educated. They're they're finding out now it's more indoctrination than education, and that is a great frustration of the people of this country. And and we really need to look at what we can do to to change those policies and change that trajectory. It is not healthy for our republic. And everybody, we're talking to the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Judge Weinberg, you have a question. Mr. Speaker, I'm very concerned because you raised the issue of indoctrination. I'm very concerned about TikTok, which is controlled by the Chinese communists, and what they've been doing to our our young people, who seem to get all their views and all their news from TikTok, and it's all about shaping a narrative, and it's an anti-American narrative. What say you? Yeah, I agree with you, Judge. I don't think there's any dispute about that. And, you know, they have very powerful lobbyists on Capitol Hill, and they're trying to protect their, their market share and their interests. But they, in my view, they have a, a, a very uh, a very negative influence upon our culture, our society, particularly our young people. Uh, it, it's a dangerous thing. And if you look at the disparity with how they use that, that tool in China and how they, how they use it and exploit it in America – you can see very clearly what it's about. In, in China, the, the, the young people are limited to, I think it's like an hour a day, and all they get is positive reinforcement propaganda stuff about hard work and how great China is and how evil everyone else is. And over here, it's complete trash, most all of it, right, that our kids are exposed to. So it's something that parents have to be very wary of. They need to monitor their kids' intake. And in the meantime, I think lawmakers need to look very carefully about what we're going to allow on these platforms because it, it is, a again, one of these root causes to so many societal ills. Mr. Speaker, last question. One of our biggest concerns that we've talked to you about on WABC here is Washington is for sale. And it's so much money rolling into Washington. What can we do about legalizing the money that's coming into Washington? Well, that, that's a that's a big, important question, and there's lots of details. And it, it, we could spend a half hour drilling down into some of the subparts of that. But I'll just tell you as a general notion – I think the members of Congress have to commit on both sides of the aisle to restoring truth and transparency and and trust in this institution. You know, we're in a constitutional republic. We're only 247 years into this grand experiment in self-governance. And the founders, when they set it up, they didn't know how long it would last. But they did know that one of the important ingredients of maintaining a constitutional republic would be the people's faith and trust in the institutions that govern them. Right now, we're at record low levels of trust. And that's a serious, probably an existential threat. Uh, to the continuance of our country. So I, I'm, I'm focused on that. Many of my colleagues are. We'll be looking for ways to, to increase transparency and trust, and I, I think that's got to be a common theme going forward. And it's uh, checks and balances, too, on uh, what's going on in Washington. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I want to thank you for coming on today in WABC and our microphone, uh, which goes around the world. Um, 
welcomes you anytime, and uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for joining me on my birthday, too, Mr. Speaker. I, I was going to say, happy birthday. Happy birthday. What a great day. God bless you all. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you.